If you have a Bible and uh, you'd like to uh, follow along, um, then I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 2, the Gospel of Mark chapter 2, and the first 12 verses in that chapter, if you want to listen along. And then we're just going to try and make sense of uh, what's going on there and see how it might apply into our own lives today. Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he'd come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking those things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, go home. And he got up, took his mat and he walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. It's a fantastic story. Very visual. You can see it, can't you? Um, this sort of, you can imagine perhaps being in a very crowded room. <laughs> That's not so hard to imagine. Um, and suddenly the roof you become aware of the roof coming in. And initially, it would just be the flakes of plaster and the wood or the dust would begin just to settle. And then you'd realize that people are trying to get in. A day disturbed. I do a lot of speaking. It's never happened to me. But this week, I was doing some teaching in a college over in, in, in Derbyshire. And... Um, before I began, this uh, woman came to me and said, um, before you begin, begin today, uh, what you need to know is that I've got narcolepsy. Now, for those of you who are wondering, is that the thing where you take things out of shops without paying for it? It's not that. Narcolepsy is where you can't stay awake or you, your, your body closes down. Your mind's still alert, but your body closes down. She said, I probably will fall asleep. I was fascinated. Because it happens a lot when I'm speaking. <laughs> I was absolutely fascinated by this. She said to me, I may also start hallucinating. And it was like, wow. She said, yeah, I'll see things that aren't there. And I'm thinking, oh, well, <laughs> this could be interesting. Anyway, what I discovered that afternoon was narcolepsy is catching. Because by the time I finished, <laughs> ages ago, years ago, I was doing a, I was doing teaching again, and uh, this tells you more about me than I wish you would know. But um, a Korean, just in the middle of uh, the teaching class, um, 
just stood up. Didn't say anything. And it wasn't a big group. It was like 20 people. And uh, he just stood up in the middle and stood rigid like that. And uh, so I didn't want to embarrass him. And um, I didn't want to say. So I didn't say anything. And um, just carried on for another hour or whatever it was. And he's just standing there like that. And um, at the break, at the coffee break, I said, do you mind me asking, why are you standing up? He said, because if I sit down, I'll fall asleep. He said, <laughs> I said, oh, I said, um, are you not sleeping well? And he said, no. He said, in my culture, he said, as Korean pastors, um, we stay up all night praying. And uh, he said, so I've, I've been up all night praying. He said, so, so bless him. I was teaching for a whole week. All day, all day, every day for a whole week. Bless him. He stood the whole time just standing there like, it was a bit hard. Jesus was a better teacher than I'll ever be. And in the middle of this day, the unexpected happened. He'd come home. Capernaum was his hometown. It's not where he grew up. We know that. But it's where he'd made his base. And he'd gone to this house and it's kind of interesting, just as a, like almost in brackets thought, they wonder whose house was this? And some people think it could well have been Peter's because what we know is that Jesus had been at Peter's house maybe the night before and had been healing people and people had been coming to the door. And maybe it was Peter's house. But you know, there's other folks who go, what if it was Jesus' own house? Because he'd have to live somewhere. Practicing as a carpenter, as a tradesman, in his hometown, I love the idea that the house that this, these friends were destroying was Jesus' own house. Jesus is teaching, and in the middle of it, the disruption of someone wrecking at least someone's house. And Jesus is not phased. Because Jesus never was one for standing on sort of, you know, standing and saying, oh, you shouldn't be doing that sort of thing. It's not right. Jesus is just not phased at all. And in the middle of his preach, these friends lower, lower their friend down. The disruption that doesn't phase Jesus and has never phased Jesus. You kind of wonder about the friends, don't you? What sort of friends do you have that, um, would do that. Friends who perhaps have seen Jesus preaching and teaching and healing people and going, we've got a mate and he looks like he's in a hopeless case. Let's take him to Jesus. Let's get him to Jesus, whatever it may take. Not that one, that one. It's kind of interesting that in, when Mark's telling the gospel, um, they, these, these men carry their friend to Jesus. And when Jesus sees their faith, he does the miracle for the paralyzed man. Who knows what the man was thinking? <laughs> well, he may have just been thinking, this, I hope they don't drop me. Who knows what he was thinking? But these guys have faith, they trust, they dare to believe if we could just get our friend to Jesus, I think Jesus could do something. And it's when Jesus sees their faith, their trust, their 
their awareness that Jesus can do something here, that a miracle takes place. Jesus turns to the man on the mat and says to him, your sins are forgiven. It's a strange response, really, isn't it, if you think about it? Because that's not what he came for. And that's not probably what the friends came for either. It's kind of like, no, you, Jesus, you've got it wrong on this occasion, if you don't mind me saying. Because our friend's problem is not that he's feeling guilty. Our friend is, if you hadn't noticed, paralyzed. He needs to be healed. And Jesus doesn't start there, but looks at the guy and goes, you can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. And in the same place, there were the representatives, the teachers of the law. There were the people who were kind of in charge of religion, really. And they're standing around, and they're saying two things. One, there's a place for this sort of stuff to happen, and it's not in Capernaum. You may not know, but Capernaum was like a little village. It was like a little village of absolutely no significance. And there was a place where you went for healing, and that was in Jerusalem, in the capital city. I don't know when you go and you meet people from other parts of the country um, and they say, where are you from? What do you say? I mean, I know you, I, you, you tell the truth, obviously, but what do you say? Salford. And what's the next thing you have to say then? Near Manchester. <laughs> and then if you're of a certain vintage, but it's not Manchester. Because, <laughs> yeah. And you give them this historical understanding of Salford as a city and how it was in Doomsday Book and it became before Manchester. Manchester only became popular because of cotton, you know, and, and by this time people have walked away from you. Because <laughs> when you're 200 miles away in any direction, Salford? Never heard of it. Or if I had, oh, they, what's even more irritating is when they go, oh yeah, the BBC. No, 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 we were there before. It was... <laughs> And it's kind of like Capernaum. Where? Because this sort of important stuff happens in the capital city in Jerusalem. In the place where the temple is. In the place where God is. In the place where miracles might happen. But not Capernaum. And that was the first thing. It was the teachers of the law going, it shouldn't happen here. And the second thing is, much more significantly they were saying, and who do you think you are saying to this man, you're forgiven. Only God can forgive. Now, because it's kind of like we're telling this story in church, and because you may well have all sorts of sort of uh, backgrounds in church and belief and all the rest of it, um, we don't really hear the force of this. But I was trying to think how to explain it. So let me explain it like this. Suppose, this is not true, the bit that I'm going to say next. Suppose that before you all arrived this morning, when the band were practicing, Ian and Frank had a big bust up. Again. again. <laughs> it's not true, they didn't, all right? But just suppose. And suppose that um, Frank 
had really said something to really hurt Ian. <laughs> All right. He didn't, but just imagine that he did. He really hurt Ian. And I come in and out and wandering around, and I go to Frank, Frank, I forgive you for hurting Ian. Now, Ian could well say a few things, <laughs> but essentially he'd want to say, who do you think you are? It's not, it's not your right to forgive Frank. He did it to me, number one. Number two, who gives you the right to be in charge of who gets forgiveness and who doesn't? And number three, how on earth does that work? Just because you say, I forgive you, well, that doesn't change anything, does it? Because you're just Neil. You'd be wrong about that. No. <laughs> and that's the force of what was going on in the story. Do you, do you, do you hear it now? Because it's each of Laura going, who are you to forgive him? Because, in brackets, because as we both know, actually, only God can forgive. Only God can forgive sins. And so you're left with that fascinating thought lingering in the room with a hole in the roof. So who's this? And who's he claiming to be? And then Jesus says, brilliant bit. He says, I know what you're thinking. What do you think is easier? Do you think it's easier to say, I forgive your sins? Or do you think it'd be easier for me to say, get off your mat and walk? Now, everybody in the room honestly would go, I think it's easier to say, well, what would you say? Pardon? Yeah, it's easier to say, I forgive your sins, because nobody can tell whether anything's happened. Do you know what I mean? If you're ever going to speak about anything, do it where nobody can tell. <laughs> Hedge your bets. And Jesus says, but to show you that I can forgive sins and that that word is not the most difficult word, watch this. Get up. And the man got off his mat and walked. And that really blew people's minds then. Because it's like, I mean, two things. A, there's a miracle. And B, what about this forgiveness business? They were scandalized. They were scandalized that Jesus forgave. But you know, there's a sort of sense in which we can be scandalized that Jesus might have talked about sins to someone who was paralyzed. How does that work? Let's just pull back for a moment. I think that when we think about the world around us, society as a whole, there's not many of us that would disagree with the fact that we think society's sick. We're not right. And it's not just new political ideas, it's not just new economic policies that we need. Actually, we need a new star. Don't we? Isn't that what most people go? It's broken. Where are you, you going to look? 
And it's easy to see it there. It might be easy to see it in your workplace. You go, do you know what? Our workplace is so damaged that it's not just a new computer system that's going to break, uh, mend this. We need a new start. And you can see it in the workplace. You might even see it in your family and go, do you know what? My family, my wider family, it's not just a holiday they need. They need a new start. Just fixing it with a holiday is not going not to solve this. They need a new start. And I wonder then whether it's possible to pull back into ourselves and go, do you know what? It's not a few things added to my life that I need. I need to start again. I need forgiveness. Someone said, forgiveness is God's greatest gift because it meets our greatest need. The man could well have said, if only I could walk. And probably the friends thought, if, he, if Jesus just touches him and he can walk, that'll be fine, he'll be fine. And Jesus knew, no, you won't. You know the old cliche, you know, you get away from it all and then you find you take yourself with you. <laughs> I just want to get away. If I can just get away from it, my mind will be fine, I'll be I'll be sorted. And then you wake up and you go, no, I'm still here. I need a new start. Well, how does this connect with this little fella? I asked Kate for a couple of pictures. And she said, you can have any of these. It's a great picture. One of the things that we've done today is we have been reminded that this little fella, Luke, is part of us. A couple of weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, when we uh, did a similar service for a young fella called Samuel, we reminded ourselves about what sort of people we wanted to be for Samuel. Today, what I want to remind us is, what's the story we bring Luke into? And the story, the things we believe, the way we make sense of the world is this. You don't need to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You don't need to turn over a new page. You can't try harder for things to be different. You need to be forgiven. And that leads to a whole stack of other thoughts, doesn't it? The first thing is, you're not going to get everything right. You're going to foul up. You don't need to be perfect. You need to be humble enough to be forgiven. You don't need to hold on to things as, it, as they are. It's okay to let go and go, I need a new start. That's the world we bring Luke into. It's okay not to be in perfect situations, but you can come to God, the one who gives you new life. That's the world we bring this fella into. It was a slow rinse, he's all right. <laughs> what does it mean for Luke? I think what I'd want Luke to know, and every other child that's part of us, uh, two simple truths that the forgiveness of God through the death of Jesus brings. It's this, two simple truths. 
The past does not define you and the future does not need to frighten you. You're not defined by your past. Who you were, what you were, where you've been. Because actually we come to a cross where we say, can we start again? And the future does not frighten us for we know by whom we're held. Jesus healed a man whose past was defining him. A man who was paralyzed, a man who was unable to walk, a man who was dependent upon everybody else. And his friend said, I think this situation could change. I wonder who you'd want that for. I wonder who you're going to be the people of hope for. I wonder who you're the one that goes, not on my watch, my family, I'm bringing them to Jesus because I... God, if you don't do something, I'm not going to stand by and just let my family disintegrate. And Jesus sees your faith because your family may not have faith, and that's okay, but you, you, you're the one that goes, I believe, God, you can do something here. You're the one that goes, on my watch, my workplace is going to be different because it may be broken and it may be flawed, deeply, deeply flawed, but I'm going to bring it to God because it's not what God intended it to be. And I'm going to get these people, this situation, this context back closer. The past will not define us. The future will not frighten us. So in church, no regret. Nobody's speaking to one another going, if only I hadn't. Truth is, you did. It's been dealt with. It doesn't hold you back. No sense of shame. If only they knew, I don't think they'd, they'd approach me in the same way. It doesn't matter whether they know or not. If they know, that's okay. They just know it's not defining my present, nor is it defining my future. The forgiveness that leads the past in behind us and the hope that Jesus will fix what's broken. So I'll bring family. I'll bring friends. I'll bring work. I'll bring colleagues. And I'll make a hole in Jesus' roof. Because I think if Jesus could do something, I think it would change. I want to be that sort of friend. And Jesus, on a day crowded with people, a disrupted day, a broken roof, a delivered man, a new start. I was chatting to uh, someone about this during the week. I'm done, really. And they said, how did that bloke get out of the room? It was so crowded. <laughs> you had to roll the mat up and get out. I reckon everybody just went, wow. Never imagined this would happen. And Mark says, they went away going, we've seen remarkable things today. 
God, do it again. Do it again. Do it for me. And do it for those around me. And I kind of think, to be honest, it's, this is kind of like one of those sermons that's a catch-all. You're either the bloke on the mat, or you're the friend carrying the bloke on the mat, aren't you? Do it again, God. Do it again. Shall we pray together? In a moment or two, Natalie's going to come and lead us into communion and uh, she's going to give us chance and space to respond in prayer with one another and for one another. But just right now, in the sort of stillness, I'm going to ask just the band to play, really. Not for us to sing, but them just to play. And as they play... Just allow the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, to come close to you and to rest on you. It's kind of like a moment where, in order to do that, you just begin to be still. The story might swirl and the thoughts that have been provoked allow God by his spirit just to make clear to you what he'd want to say to you let's listen to the guys play for a bit Holy Spirit of God, just come and rest on us, we pray. Lord, we're a distracted people with a million things running through our brains. We find it hard to be still. Come, Holy Spirit, still our minds and still our hearts.
Lord, we cling to two truths that we want to be true for us. That our past will not define us and the future will not scare us. Lord, for those of us for whom this is a really personal thing this morning, Lord, for those of us that know we've really messed up, Lord, we want to be open enough with you to ask you to forgive us for the choices we made for the decisions we took for the actions we found ourselves doing for the words we said for the thoughts we imagined Lord we ask for forgiveness for the things that we chose not to do that we knew we could have done we should have done Lord forgive us burden that we carry because of all of that. Lord, free as we pray. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, may our lives be free. May we be forgiven. Lord, we want to pray that we will not be tyrannized by our fear of the future. And often that's about other people, the fear we have of what will happen to them. Lord, we want to bring those people to you. You're the only one that can make a difference. You made a difference in so many of our lives, but Lord, do it again. Do it again in their lives. Lord, we bring these people to you, knowing that if you touched them, if you did something, everything would be different. Holy Spirit guard us and deliver us from our own fear of what might be knowing that you hold us and that we can bring our family our friends, our workplaces the groups we're part of to you and go, God will you do something new there Holy Spirit come and rest on us we pray